Good morning, everybody. Um, for those of you who don't know, my name is Christian. I'm the worship director here at Transform. Um, before Pastor Mike comes up and gives his rocking message that the Lord put on his heart, we're going to read um, a passage from Psalm 103. Would you guys flip there with me? Psalm uh, 103. Psalm chapter 103, we're going to read the first six verses today. And uh, my translation is the CSB for anyone who might be wondering. Verse 1 says, My soul, bless the Lord, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. My soul, bless the Lord, and do not forget all his benefits. He forgives all your iniquity, he heals all your diseases, he redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. He satisfies you with good things. Your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord executes acts of righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. Well, good morning again. Hi, guys. Uh, I almost grabbed my guitar for this sermon because apparently it's going to be rocking. <laughs> I prayed a little bit harder after you said that. I was like, oh, that's a lot of pressure. If you would turn to Mark chapter 5 this morning, I feel really loud. Am I really loud? Am I okay? Okay, I, I'll trust you guys to like just put a hand up if I'm, if I'm blowing you away. Um, you guys, so as you turn to Mark chapter 5, I just want to give us a little bit of a, a review uh, in a way of what we've been going through in this gospel of Mark thus far because... Um, I talked to you guys before about how our desire for this study series in the Gospel of Mark was to really take an intentional and focused look at the life of Jesus and to find um, a way through every passage, through every section of this Gospel to look at him intently. A lot of times we look at stories in the Bible and, and we'll look at all the characters and that's good, they're there for a reason, but when we were going and, and prepping for this sermon series in Mark, I really wanted us to look at Jesus in detail, everything that he does. And sometimes we get overview shots of what he's doing, and, and it'll tie together a large section and say, he did all of these things this such and such a time. We had one of those instances in uh, Mark chapter 1, in verses 32 through 34, and we just get this kind of uh, overview shot. It says, when evening came after the sun had set, this is an evening in Capernaum, they brought to him all who were sick and demon-possessed, the whole town was assembled at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So that's like an overview statement. It's saying like a lot happened. You can imagine a, that's, that's really very little detail for um, a lot of things happening in one evening. That would take some time and be pretty overwhelming to see, but Mark just summarizes it for us. In chapter 3, as word spread about all that Jesus was doing, and people from Galilee and from Tyre and Sidon and from Jerusalem and Judea start to gather around him, Mark chapter 3, verses 9 through 12, does a similar thing as we just saw in chapter 1. It says, Then he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him so that the crowd wouldn't crush him. Since he had healed many, all who had diseases were pressing toward him to touch him. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he would strongly warn them not to make him known. Again, we're just giving kind of an overview of what's happening there on the shores of Galilee. So we're taking note of these passages from prior chapters because this morning is going to shift and be a little bit of a different perspective. And Mark's going to record some of the events in this season of Jesus' life with 
not a few explanatory comments, but rather he's going to go into this with quite a bit of detail. He's going to explain these two situations that we see happen on the same day, and he's going to explain them in detail for us to look at and really consider. And I'm excited for this opportunity because I just want to recall what we talked about at the beginning of our study series and say this is one of those times where we can look very intently, very closely at what Jesus is doing. And I think that these details are included for a reason. Last week, we spent our time looking carefully at a situation that was given to us in detail as the man who was dispossessed of the group of demons that called themselves legion that were inside of him. I don't know, it may have been 6,000 Roman soldiers. That was a Roman legion. It could have been just a bunch of them. The idea was that this was like a mob acting and sanctioning, which is liberates from the plane. This man's plight, his liberation, and his commissary. Incredible. It's this man from the possession, but this guy believes in Jesus with his whole heart, and Jesus sends him to the Decapolis, which is this 10-city region on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, and there he preaches powerfully about the work of Christ. And it was there in Mark's account, and we've talked about this as well, and if you know the Gospels even a little bit, you'll probably recognize that Mark is the shortest Gospel And a lot of times you'll see him kind of speed through things. He does do that overview thing. But here in the account that we read last week at the beginning of chapter 5, Mark gave more detail about the possessed man than any of the other Gospels did. He went into great detail. And again, here in today's text, so in fact, we could save all of Mark chapter 5, Mark goes into great detail about these stories and gives us a really close-up look. More detail in this account that we'll read this morning than any of the other synoptic gospel accounts. You guys, it's interesting that as Jesus returns from the side of the lake with the Gerasenes and returns to the region he was at before, as the people wait for him as we begin this next section, I want you guys to notice what Jesus is going to say to these people, and I want you to think very carefully as we take a look with a zoom lens on the healing of two women. And I want you to take note of how he calls the people involved in these stories to belief by saying simply believe. Simply believe. There was a woman in this story that we're going to read this morning who just like the people who were trying to touch Jesus on the shores of Galilee, and he had to get in the boats because the crowds were just closing in around him. They were longing to, I don't know if you noticed in that text, just to touch him. They were trying to touch him. Well, there's a woman in this chapter that believes that if she can just touch Jesus, that she'll be healed. That's how strong her belief is. And then we'll see for the first time in this morning's text, for the first time in Mark's gospel, that Jesus has power not just to heal, but he has resurrection power. Which, by the way, I realize it's two weeks removed, and I did it last week, but you guys realize that Jesus is still risen. It's getting weaker every week. He's risen! All right, that was pretty good. This room, I think, was a little faster to risen indeed than you guys were, but that's okay. It's all right. You guys, Jesus is going to show his resurrection power here for the first time in Mark's gospel on behalf of a 12-year-old girl. And it's going to be a powerful example yet again for the father of this young girl to be challenged by Jesus to simply believe. There's much more to this as we get into it, but these stories are intertwined within the same day and they're important enough for the authors of the New Testament inspired by the Holy Spirit to slow down and explain in more detail. 
Even though as John records in John 21, 25, there are many things that Jesus did, which if every one of them were written down, John says, I suppose not even the world itself could contain the books that would be written. Doesn't that make you wonder what they were? Immediate, I'm like, what are those stories? You know, and he's like, read your Bible. Those are the ones we have, right? But you guys, there's that much that Jesus did in his lifetime, and yet this story that we're going to read this morning is covered in detail in all three gospel accounts. So, it's here for a reason. Let's examine it in that light. So Mark chapter 5, hopefully you're there. Grab a Bible and a pew if you need one. We'll read through this together. I'm going to begin in verse 21 where we left off last week, and I'm just going to read through verse 24 to start, and we'll kind of take it in pieces as we go. Mark 5, 21, he records this. When Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the sea. And one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, my little daughter is dying. Come and lay your hands on her so that she can get well and live. So Jesus went with him and a large crowd was following and it says pressing against him. So really quickly before we move on, this is something we need to understand about the ruler of the synagogue. He was one of the most important and most respected men in the community. If you understand Jewish culture then, you know that it was not customary. In fact, you may not have ever seen it before to see the most respected man in the community fall at the feet of a rebel rabbi, Jesus. And the reason I say rebels, because Jesus wasn't like the other rabbis. Jesus did things a little bit differently. He actually spoke with power. Remember, they were amazed in Capernaum at his, his preaching because he preached with power, not like the other scribes. Jesus was casting out demons with authority. This was astounding people. He was calming storms. So Jesus is very different. And you know this, that if you look at the religious leaders throughout the early days of Jesus, they increasingly dislike him more and more. And so for a synagogue leader to come to Jesus and fall at his feet in a posture of worship is a massive statement and a very shocking place to find him. When Jairus had whether Jairus had sided with the opposition against Jesus publicly or not, we don't know. In this moment of peril, he falls to the same place where the able-bodied, the demonic powers, the sick, and the physically disabled come to Jesus. He falls at his feet. It's a posture of submission, of humility, of saying, I come to you because you possess the power. A heart properly postured will humbly submit in obedience, and will worship at the feet of Jesus. It's Isaiah 66 where he says, the Lord looks with favor on this type of a person. He says, one who is submissive in spirit, one who is humble in his heart, and he says, and one who trembles at my word. That means to obey it. He says, this is the type of heart that the Lord favors. This is the person that God favors, is the person who comes in a penitent manner, who comes broken, who recognizes that God is the answer, that he is to be worshiped, that I don't have the strength of the power. It says the writer of Hebrews reveals further in chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, Jesus is sympathetic to our situations and circumstances and knows what we're going through. This should encourage us to his feet. Therefore, the writer of Hebrews states, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, 
Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. This is the idea behind a penitent heart is that we would come and fall to the feet of Jesus with boldness and say, he knows what I'm going through. He understands me. Jesus gets us. Regardless of how he viewed Jesus prior, desperate faith has driven him to where he needs to be. And that's at the feet of Jesus. Are the desperate times of your life bringing you there? Or are you pulling away? It's a question we have to ask ourselves often. When I go through peril, when I'm in a place of absolute stress, anxiety, being heartbroken, am I pulling away or am I at the feet of Jesus? Because it's at the feet of Jesus that we receive grace and mercy in our time of need. Jairus' daughter is dying. I can't imagine what it would be like. I have a 12-year-old daughter right now. I won't point to where she is, but she's right there. (laughs) I have to at least once for all my kids' sake. You guys, um, I can't imagine what it'd be like to know that there was no hope for my daughter outside of this teacher to save her from an illness that's killing her. I can't imagine how emotional and how broken I would be but we're missing something if we think that this is only about Jairus. Jairus' daughter is dying. It's true. Whose daughter is she in reality? This is her father. All the more to the feet of Jesus. Never, you really think that he loves her less than a reason to run? Never forget that he loves the people around you more than you do. Never forget that he wants to work in other people's lives more than you want him to work in their lives. Never miss that, you guys. This is the Lord's daughter. Jairus believes that if Jesus can touch her and make her well, she'll be saved from death. But his faith is going to grow beyond that. I'm going to give you a little spoiler. Jairus' daughter dies. You see, Jairus came to him and said, if I get to the teacher fast enough and get him to come, he'll heal her before she dies. But what Jesus is going to require of Jairus is that his faith grows so that he trusts Jesus even beyond life and into death itself. You guys, if you think that you, that you have set healthy parameters for your faith, let me just suggest to you, you probably haven't. And neither have I. You're like, oh, what, your faith? No, by no means. I, for, yeah, by no means do I think that my faith is where it should be. In fact, I expect that for every single one of us, Jesus is looking and saying, well, here's where your faith is, but here's where I want to take it. Here's how I want to grow that faith. Oftentimes, we think that because we've taken a step of faith that we've done our part. But how often is Jesus about to reveal as he is to Jairus another level of belief that he never knew he could have? That he never knew was even possible because we serve a God who operates in the realm of the impossible. Isn't that an awesome truth? And we need to hold fast to it because we look at the things around us sometimes and we have no answers. 
We have no answers for how this is going to work out, how God is going to be glorified in the midst of this, but God does the impossible. He works in that realm. And en route to Jairus' home, Jesus gets held up for a minute. And being held up for that minute, remember, Jairus is with them. Don't forget, he's witnessing everything that's happening here. He's with them. They're going to his house. But en route there, Jesus gets held up. And here's what happens. It says in verse 25, Now a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. Having heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing. For she said, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. Instantly, her flow of blood ceased, and she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. That's powerful. Twelve years. Now let this baffle you. Immediately, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? His disciples, responding like all the people at Transform Ministries, said to him, you see the crowd pressing against you, and yet you say, who touched me? What are you talking about? But he was looking around to see who had done this. The woman with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him. What do you know? Another person at Jesus' feet. And told him the whole truth. Daughter, he said to her. Oh, you guys hear that in the voice of a loving father. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. This is a fascinating text to me. I'm not going to lie. Like, I read this so many times this week and was like, what a weird thing to see. This is one of my favorite stories in the gospel accounts. It's one of those moments I wish I could actually witness because I want to see how it played out. And I'd love to see the look on the disciples' faces when Jesus turned around and said, who touched me? Like, to me, I'd be like, because that's how I'd react. I'd be like, you're joking, right? Like, seriously? You guys, this woman spoken of in all three synoptic accounts had suffered for 12 years, bleeding constantly. You guys, this is not only physically debilitating, but it also rendered her continuously unclean. It shut her off from her friends, her family, worshiping. She couldn't go into these places and actually participate in the worship because she was unclean, according to Leviticus 15. And seeking help, she had endured much in the care of, notice, many doctors. And I think some of us have either experienced this ourselves or we know people who have who have gone to many doctors seeking help from physicians and you know how mentally, emotionally, and physically draining that is. It's exhausting to continue to search for answers and to watch the finances drain out of the accounts with no solution and no resolution, no closure for what's happening. In fact, it says for her case, and I think many of us have experienced this or know people who do, she got worse. She is broken. She's weak. She's exhausted. It becomes all the more difficult when we have nothing left. And I think that we just need to take a minute and, and let our hearts ache for this woman for a second. Because I think it should make us empathetic for people around us. It is very easy for us to forget people who are suffering chronically. It's easy for us to go about our day 
and just compartmentalize people who are suffering. No, feel it. Let it bother you. Let the suffering of others create empathy for them. And seek for ways to be loving and prayerful over their lives. We ought to never be cold towards the suffering of others because Jesus wasn't. He was not cold to the suffering of others. Here in this desperate place at her wit's end, she still approaches Jesus secretly because not only has the 12-year infirmity been wrecking her physically, financially, mentally, it's embarrassing too. This is embarrassing. This isn't something that you want to declare in front of a whole group of people. And so she approaches him secretly, quietly, amidst a crowd. If I can just touch him, I can be healed. There's a lot of faith there, but there's also a lot of understandable fear. I think it makes sense. To state it openly was something she couldn't face, and so she decides to try and touch Jesus secretly. What an inspiration, you guys. What an inspiration. It doesn't matter how you come to Jesus, just come to Jesus. Just come to the Lord. Stop thinking that you need to clean yourself up first. I almost dressed in all of my, like, car mechanic clothes, or pretended, you know, car mechanic clothes. Like, all my dirty stuff, be like, you can come to Jesus like this. But it would have taken a long time for me to explain it, and everyone would be wondering before now, why is Mike dressed like a slob? You guys, he loves us even when our confidence is shaken. He loves us no matter how we are, who we are, what we're going through, and he calls us to himself. Even if you come quietly. Nicodemus came at night. We got the Nick at night chapter because this guy couldn't do it in the daytime. Right? I love it. I still chuckle at the joke. I don't, I don't you know, if it, no one else says that's okay. You guys, he loves us even when we are broken, even when we lack confidence. Come to Jesus all the same. Come to him all the same. He understands us. I believe she sought him in the way that the old hymn, Abide With Me, speaks of. I love this line from that hymn. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, oh, abide with me. Help of the helpless, Oh, abide with me. One touch of his robe and 12 years of misery ended. One touch. Now, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but something really crazy happens here. Jesus heals her unintentionally. Just let that bake your noodle for a while. That, that just like fascinates me. I'm like, wait a minute. You don't really see that happen in the Gospels. Jesus healed her unintentionally. That's why I don't think he was faking when he turned around and said, who touched me? Right? He's just walking along in this crowd. What's amazing to me, you guys, is immediately Jesus realizes that someone touched him and was healed. Why? Because he realizes that power had gone from him. He felt power leave him and heal somebody. This is a fascinating topic. I'm not going to get into it. But here's the thing. Like, it's fascinating, and he turns around, and he wonders who, who does this. Have we ever stopped and considered, looking closely at this passage, that during the incarnation, every time Jesus healed anyone, it took something out of him? Have we thought about that? Considered that it actually took something out of him to heal people. Here's a universal rule of life, you guys. We will never produce anything great unless we prepare, unless we are prepared to put something of ourselves, of our very life, of our very soul into it. I knew a guy who was a, a mentor to pastors, and he was talking about how, like, every pastor understands this truth. 
and the pastors of this church will agree. You can ask them, not just me. When you prep a study and when you teach and you preach and the Lord uses you, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. It feels draining. And anyone who's taught in any context and, and, and knows, knows that the Lord has filled them with the Spirit and that He's used them, it's exhausting work. William Barclay, on this thought, observes rightly, the greatness of Jesus was that he was prepared to pay the price of helping others, and that price was the outgoing of his very life. We follow in his steps only when we are prepared to spend not our substance, but our souls and strength for others. Are we ready to expend our souls and our strength for other people? Because Jesus emptied himself, even to the point as Paul would go on to say, to death on the cross. The disciples didn't understand this yet. They didn't get it. That's why they said, why are you asking who touched you? Are you crazy? Right? Why are you asking who touched you? They don't understand this. They're shocked that Jesus is saying who touched me because they didn't understand that it cost Jesus something to heal people. It's just a fascinating thing to think about. Have we ever thought about it? Have we ever considered that doing the work of Jesus will not just cost us time, but it'll drain strength and power that the Lord has given us to work for his glory so that we come back to the Father and receive fresh strength and filling from him? So that we come back to the Father. Why do you think Jesus spent so much doing? There's a lot of reasons, but he was being filled to do the work that he that looks like in flesh, in, as a human being, what do I need to do to do the work of God? You model your life after Jesus, and you can expect to be exhausted. Do you really think that he was sleeping on the boat just for kicks? During that raging storm? He was sleeping on the boat because he was exhausted from doing the work that Father had put him here to do. You guys, it's a powerful thing. Are we coming back to the Lord just like Jesus did, praying and seeking him, seeking fresh filling, vision, and strength. I think we also need to be careful to not be unaware of what others are suffering to serve Jesus in this life, to support those who are serving him. We have missionaries in Thailand right now. We have missionaries that are getting ready to go to Papua New Guinea. We have missionaries that are working in Africa. We need to be praying for them and encouraging them and supporting them, remembering them, because they are suffering to serve Jesus and pouring themselves out in very difficult, difficult places to live, in third world countries where people are suffering greatly. One of the tragedies of life is the strange insensitiveness of the human mind. It's a tragedy that we can be so insensitive to others, to what life is costing and how difficult it is. We so often utterly fail to realize what others are going through and just because we might have no experience with something doesn't mean that it's not costing someone else dearly. Let's be perceptive, be discerning, and encourage one another. I've said this many times, I want to encourage you guys with this again. Encouragement is so vital to the church. When you feel warmth when you come into a church building, when you come into the family of God and you feel warmth, that's love felt. But if you want to hear love spoken, it's called encouragement. It can come correctively and still be encouraging. You guys, it comes in many different ways, but are we a church that encourages one another, that builds each other up, that is sensitive to what's going on in each other's lives? Lord, make us more aware.
of those around us who are being poured out for you. We ought to pray for empathy often. Jesus so gently says to this trembling woman who's just been healed, she's coming to him trembling. He says, daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. He's so gentle to her. I love it. It's beautiful. The beauty of the heart of Jesus. While he's still speaking, look at verse 35. People came from the synagogue leader's house. Remember, they're on their way to Jairus' house still. And they said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? When Jesus overheard what was said, he told the synagogue leader, don't be afraid, only believe. He did not let anyone accompany him except Peter, James, and John, James' brother. They came to the leader's house and he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him. But he put them all outside. He took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and entered the place where the child was. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which is translated little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk. She was 12 years old. And at this they were utterly astounded. And then he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. And he told them, give her something to eat. There's there's so much tenderness in the way Jesus goes about this healing, this resurrection of this young girl. Guys, let me make this statement. Our hope in Christ is not limited within the parameters of our expected outcome. Hope is determined by the abundance of his love, his power, and his grace. I'm going to say that again. There should be a slide for that one, I think just because I want us to let this soak in. Our hope in Christ is not limited within the parameters of our expected outcome. Hope is determined by the abundance of his love, his power, and his grace. What you are hoping in is not limited to your parameters to comprehend it. Does that make sense? So many times I'm living according to what I understand or living according to what I can expect but do we not serve a God, not only as we said before, who can do the impossible, but who can do exceedingly and abundantly beyond anything that we ask or think? If you believe in a, in a God like that, in a father who loves his children like that, then we can honestly believe that God can do so much beyond what we expect of him. He is loving and he is powerful and our lives are built by him, for him, and survive through him. And even when the situation looks dim, church, even when the hope was for him to arrive within my time frame or else all would be lost, Jesus looks at you in and I just as he looked at Jairus and says, don't be afraid, only believe. That doesn't mean that he's going to do what I want him to do. It means, church, that whatever he will do will be good. That I can trust that whatever he's going to do is going to be good. And that's where my faith grows. My faith doesn't grow when God does what I expect. My faith grows when God does the unexpected. When God is bigger than my perception of him. That's where my faith grows. That's where it's extended beyond. You guys... 
please never think that there's a prescriptive way for us to view Jesus so that he'll do what we want him to do. I'll just refer to C.S. Lewis. He's not a tame lion. You don't control him. You don't tell him what to do. But it means that if I live in the reality of what he says, I don't have to be afraid. I believe in him with my whole heart that whatever he's going to do will be good. However he's going to act will be according to his will. The mourners here in this house, they're the perfect picture of despair. They're unrestrained. They're wailing. Some of them may have been hired. That was common in Jewish culture. There's a sense of despair because the hope of healing was now lost. The shroud of death had fallen. It was over. There was no reason to be hopeful anymore. It's the hour that Jairus had feared and that fear had made him desperate to fall at Jesus' feet. Come and heal her before she dies. Come and do this before this happens. But what had he just witnessed Jesus do? Jesus had just healed a woman who touched his robe. Clearly, there is more to him than people perceived at that time. Even the disciples who knew him really well. Life is different when Jesus is with you. I think the disciples could write a book called that. Life is different when Jesus is with you. He calmed the raging storm. The raging demoniac is no match for him. The 12-year-old physical affliction is no match for him. Surely, though, surely a dead child is beyond him. Surely this is where the line is drawn and God's power ceases at death. And Jesus says to her father in that moment who is overcome with emotion, don't be afraid, only believe. Trust in me. And that's because Jesus is the resurrected and the resurrecting king. Jesus is not only the one who rises from the dead, he is the one who can give the ability to rise from the dead to those who put their trust in him, who believe in him. Beautiful text that connects with this. John the Apostle learned this powerfully in Revelation chapter 1. And I love Revelation chapter 1 for many reasons, but one of my favorite parts about it is that John the Apostle was very close to Jesus. The gospel accounts say that he even laid his head on him. He was very affectionate with him. And yet when John sees Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, he's having a really hard time standing on his feet not falling on his face, not laying there as if dead. Revelation 1.17 says, When I saw him, John speaking, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He laid his right hand on me and said this, Don't be afraid. Just like he said when he was walking this earth. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Boy, chew on Revelation 1, 17 and 18 for a while this week, church, and tell me if it doesn't encourage you. That Jesus says all of that in just two quick verses. Don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm living. I was dead. I'm alive forever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. I love it when Jesus tells me, and reminds me as often as I need to hear it that he holds the keys that I don't. The great fact of the Christian life, you guys, is that what looks completely impossible to us is possible with God. So let despair be turned to hope. 
And let us remember that hope will not disappoint. As Paul says in Romans chapter 5, I'm going to read to you a chunk of this. Romans 5, 1 through 5 says this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, we also boast in our affliction character because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to, to us. You guys, our hope is not limited to the parameters of our understanding. Our hope is in Christ who is eternal, who is all-powerful. So it was for Jairus and his wife. The hopeful hopeful words of Jesus, don't be afraid, only believe. Led to their daughter being raised from the dead. It's interesting when you see this text. And worship team, you can come on up. I'm going to close with this thought. It's interesting in the text, notice this. Notice what Jesus said to her. Right when he raised her from the dead. It's an Aramaic expression, Talitha kum. What's fascinating about that is that this is the only version of this story in the Gospels where those two words are mentioned. Talitha kum. He gives us the translation of it. Little girl, I say to you, get up. It's very tender, speaking to this sweet little girl. What's fascinating to me about this is we know that Mark's gospel account was given to him by Peter. Who's in the room with Jesus at this moment when he raises this little girl? We know the parents are there. Jesus is there, James and John, and Peter's there. Luke's account, Matthew's account, those accounts don't have this statement. They talk about the raising from the dead. They talk about the same story. But Talitha Kum, why do you think it's in Peter's account that he gave to Mark? It's a fascinating thing for me, and I thought about it for a while. You ever hear a statement that you just can't forget? You ever hear something said in a certain way and you never forget it? Peter remembered this. He remembered the Aramaic expression that Jesus said over her. He remembered the way that Jesus said to her, Talitha kum. This is the intimacy of Christ in our lives. That he wants to do things in our lives that are very personal. That we remember. This story is powerful, church. And I, I, I think that we really need to consider the tenderness of Christ in the healing of these two women. Yes, a 12-year-old in that culture was considered a woman. You guys, this is a powerful testament to his love for people. Maybe even to the child of someone who had been against him up until this point. It's likely that Jairus was not a fan, but he was desperate. This woman who most would consider a lost cause and was ostracized from fellowship and friends and worship is now a part of the family again. I think there's a lot of things about that we can identify with. Maybe you feel like you've been removed. 
Maybe you feel like you've been isolated. You haven't been connected to a family. You haven't had fellowship. Maybe for some of us, we do feel connected and we're not looking for those who have been isolated. Lord, would you allow us to see and to be empathetic to the suffering of those around us like you were? Jesus, I pray that you would work powerfully and that you would heal people. Lord, how many of us are called to just seek out those who are suffering? We're called to be a part of their lives and to listen. Just open our ears, be quick to listen, and slow to speak. Lord, I pray that you would warm a heart within this church that's empathetic, that cares about those who have been suffering for years on end. Jesus, that we would grow in our faith and that we would believe that you can do whatever it is that you desire to do. That you're not limited to my expectations. Lord, we look at your word and your word calls us to a greater faith. Your word gives us examples of you doing things that are so far beyond what we often expect. And yet we'll look at our circumstances and we'll limit what you can do based upon what we can think or even imagine. And Jesus, I ask that you do what you desire to do in us. Lord, for the practical things, for the practical ministry that needs to happen in our church, I pray that you would put people in this room on each other's hearts. That you would burden us for what's going on in each other's lives. Lord, I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would even Reveal to us, Lord, some who are suffering or struggling that just need encouragement and prayer and someone to walk with them, Lord, that we're not even aware of. Give us the ability to discern, to know. And Lord, make us tender towards one another. Jesus, thank you that you looked at this woman and you comforted her and you said, my daughter, your faith has made you well. Jesus, that you comforted Jairus and said, don't be afraid. Only believe. And that as you raise this little girl from the dead, you not only said, my little child, arise. But you looked at the people there and said, give her something to eat. You look after the small things just as much as the giving of life. You care about the small details of every life in this room just as much as you care about the fact that we're breathing. And Lord, if anyone here this morning feels like you don't see them, would you wipe away those lies, reveal to them that you do and you always have, that you love them, that you're calling them to yourself. It doesn't matter if we come fearful and trembling or quietly or secretly, just come all the same. Come to Jesus. Lord, walk us through this time as we worship. Lord, if some come forward and sit in the front row for, of this front pew here and just want to be prayed over, Lord, I pray that the body would react, would, re, would just come forward and pray over people. Whatever needs to happen, we just want to be a part of that.
So Holy Spirit, lead us in this time as we sing and as we praise you. We just want to thank you. We love you. We pray all this in your name. Amen. I'm just going to encourage you guys as we sing, as we worship, this front pew is open. If anyone comes up and sits in this pew, I'm just going to call the body to come. Anyone in the body the Lord leads, keep an eye on this pew and come forward and pray over them. Minister to each other, love on each other this morning. And if no one does, let's just worship and rejoice in the Lord. But if someone needs prayer, come forward and be prayed over this morning.